This is a cutoff, man. Shot into the plate. Out of the plate. Derek Jeter with one of the most unbelievable plays you will ever see by a shortstop. Collins driving. Almost lost the handle. Chalmers for the tie. Got it. Two seconds. Unbelievable. Justify is still there. Justify from Gronkowski. He's just perfect. And now he's just an immortal. Justify is the 13th triple crown winner. Welcome back to the Mono Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Minaldo. Today, we have the Mid-Season Mo Nose Awards. I'm handing out these awards to the top performers of the first half of the NFL season. After that, we have some Breeders' Cup history and my picks for this year's Breeders' Cup meets. The big races, the classic, the juvenile. You got it here. And whatever I don't talk about here, you can find my picks on Twitter Friday and Saturday. Now let's get to it. Without further ado, the Mid-Season Mo Nose Awards. We're going inside him. We're going outside him. Inside him and outside him. And when we get him on the run once, we're going to keep him on the run. And we're not going to pass. But don't forget, man, we're going to get him on the run. We're going to go, 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 go. And we aren't going to stop until we go to that goal line. For the midseason Mo Nose Ground and Pound Award, the winner has to go to none other than Todd Gurley of the Los Angeles Rams. Gurley on first down. And that's what he's been doing all year long. Picking up four, five, six yards per carry. Gurley across the middle. Will he find the end zone? He will again. They're going for the two-point conversion. They failed on their first drive. Again, the touchdown pass to Gurley, the two-point conversion to Gurley. Gurley not only leads the NFL through eight weeks with 800 rushing yards, so that's averaging 100 rushing yards per week, he has 11 rushing touchdowns and 15 total touchdowns. Not only does he lead the league in all of these categories, but he also leads the league in scoring. This to me is an even more impressive feat because when you take into consideration the fact that he is the only player in the NFL in the top 10 in scoring, that is not a kicker. He has 96 points, and he can only score points with touchdowns and two-point conversions, whereas kickers have field goals and extra points. Pretty much every time they're involved with the ball, they're going for points. That's why kickers have the most points. That's why Adam Vinatieri, a kicker, is the all-time leading point scorer in NFL history. And who did he overtake just last week? Morton Anderson, another kicker. Now, Todd Gurley has 96 points so far this season. And that's 19 more points than the next closest player, who is a kicker. In fact, the last time a non-kicker led the NFL in points for the season was in 2006 when LaDainian Tomlinson, then of the San Diego Chargers, led the league with 186 points. Right now, through eight games, Todd Gurley has 96 points, which puts him on pace for 192 points, which would give him the single-season record. If this guy is not the MVP, he's the best running back, the best offensive player on the best team, record-wise anyway, at 8-0. He's the mid-season... (laughs) 
for the mid-season Mad Bomber Award, who else would you give it to besides Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs? Here comes Von Miller. Oh, how did he pull that off? He got it to Hill, and they've got a first down. About Montana magic in Kansas City. Look at this guy. Von Miller on his heels. He throws it left-handed any way possible. The second-year phenom out of Texas Tech takes home the Mad Bomber Award for plays like that where he was rolling out to his left and threw the ball. He's a right-handed quarterback, and he moved the ball to his left hand and shot-putted the ball to Tyreek Hill for the first down to avoid the sack. That's just one of many plays that Patrick Mahomes has made this season, and that's just the beginning of why he wins the Mad Bomber Award. He has 2,526 passing yards, which leads the NFL. He's thrown four-plus touchdowns in five of eight games as part of his NFL-leading 26 touchdowns, including six touchdowns in Week 2. He's also only thrown six interceptions. The one knock on him, I guess, if you could, could find it, is that all six of them have come in the last four games after throwing no interceptions through the first four. But that's nitpicking. He's led his offense to 290 points, most in the NFL, and he has his team at an seven, impressive 7-1 record and within one possession of being 8-0. The funny thing about Patrick Mahomes is with this amazing season he's had, he's not a rookie, so he can't win Rookie of the Year. And Todd Gurley, who we talked about obviously on the Ground and Pound Award, is probably going to take home the MVP if things keep up the same way. So he could have this amazing season and take home zero hardware. If he takes home no other hardware, he'll at least take home the midseason Mono's Mad Bomber Award. The midseason Sticky Fingers Award winner is Adam Thielen of the Minnesota Vikings. Dane Johnson, Marcus May, and Buster Screen all out in the secondary, and they're looking for the big one. And it is a touchdown to who else but Adam Thielen. Thielen leads the NFL with 74 catches on 96 targets from Kirk Cousins this season for a whopping catch percentage of 77.1% and 925 receiving yards, all while hauling in six touchdowns. What separates him even more from the top receivers this season is the history he's making. With his 103 receiving yards in Week 8, he tied Calvin Johnson's all-time record for consecutive games, 8, with at least 100 receiving yards. He also became the first player in NFL history to start a season with 100 receiving yards in their first eight games. This has him on pace to shatter career highs, which were set just last season for this fifth year receiver out of Minnesota State. Career highs in receptions, which are at 91. He's at 74 now, halfway through the season. And his career high for receiving yards was 1,276 yards. He's at 925. He's on pace for 182 receptions and 2,552 receiving yards. Now, considering the fact that no receiver has ever broken the 2,000-yard mark, with the aforementioned Calvin Johnson coming closest with 1,964 yards in 2012 and Marvin Harrison's 143 receptions in 2002, which set the standard for the receptions record, with those two things in mind, these might be hard paces to hold up, but with that being said, with all the rules favoring the offense right now, and the passing game being as wide open as it possibly ever been, Thielen has as good a chance as anyone ever has of breaking both of these records, and that's why he wins the midseason Sticky Fingers Award. That's only one win in 
their history, which began in 1960, which they trailed by 20 or more points. Here's Benny going to the end zone. Can he make the catch? Yes! Jets win. Just amazing. The mid-season Vinny Testaverde Award for Best Comeback goes to not a single comeback, but a, a mid-season comeback, so to speak. The Houston Texans win the mid-season Vinny Testaverde Award for Comeback of the First Half with their Lazarus impression, rising from the dead to overcome their 0-3 start by stringing together five straight wins, the first two of which were overtime games, and the first win of their season and of this string coming only after the Colts' oddly failed to convert a fourth down in their own territory late in the overtime period to essentially hand Houston the win. It started there, and not only are they 5-3 and three after starting 0-3, they are now also on top of the AFC South and hold a game-and-a-half lead over the second-place Tennessee Titans. They even win the comeback award in terms of injuries as well. They lost their explosive number two receiver, Will Fuller, to a torn ACL in their week eight victory, but went out at Tuesday's trade deadline and acquired former pro bowler Demarius Thomas from the Denver Broncos. Thomas slots in nicely opposite of all pro and all world wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, and along with quarterback Deshaun Watson, completes what I've dubbed the killer D's. Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and now, Demarius Thomas. Now, the Houston Astros had the Killer Bees and Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, and Lance Berkman back in the day, so it's the perfect nickname for Houston's football team to now be the Killer Deeds. While Thomas can't blow the top off the defense the way that Fuller could, he's still a very talented receiver who can help take away defensive attention from Hopkins. They were 0-3. It has been a weird five-game winning streak. And who knows what the second half has in store for the Houston Texans. But right now, at the midpoint of the season, none of that matters. Because the Killer D's, at least Deshaun and DeAndre, have led Houston to the midseason Vinny Testaverde Award. Now if there's one thing I love more than fantasy sports, it's horse racing. I'm a regular Triple Crown contributor on the Steve Solomon Show podcast, I predicted the rise of Justify and his eventual Triple Crown victory and was lucky enough to witness the closest race of his career, the 143rd Preakness Stakes, where he beat Bravazo by half a length and witnessed it in person. I also cashed in big time late in the summer when Drayden Van Dyke, my favorite jockey and one of the best young jockeys right now, won a record tying seven races at Santa Anita on August 19th. I grew up around horses and I've always been fascinated by these beautiful athletes. The average person thinks of the Triple Crown races as the, the biggest races of the year, but the Breeders' Cup is regarded as the fourth leg of horse racing's Grand Slam. But unlike the better known Triple Crown races, the better quality of competition and the age differences of the horses can make it more difficult to predict the outcome. In the Triple Crown races, entry is limited to three-year-olds only. Whereas the Breeders' Cup is open to horses three years and up. You know, typically, racehorses hit their racing peak in their fourth or fifth year. So this maturity, both physical and racing experience-wise, can be a big factor in the winner. Now, the Breeders' Cup features the winners of seven different grade one stakes throughout the year. So the competition is even tighter and more experienced than the earlier American Classic races. The field's limited to only 14, so the entry is even tougher as well. Since the Breeders' Cup's inception in 1984, only one horse has won the Grand Slam, meaning winning all four races 
that being the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes, along with the Breeders' Cup in the same year, and that was American Pharaoh back in 2014. Despite many horses running in the Breeders' Cup in multiple years, the only horse to ever repeat as Breeders' Cup champion, or even win more than one period, was Tisnow in 2001 and 2002. With that little bit of history out of the way, let me get to my picks for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Let me run down the field right now. Starting in the one gate and going all the way out to 14. We have Thundersnow, who a lot of people remember for his horrible Kentucky Derby showing, where he started bucking and made a hard right turn about 20 feet out of the gate. Roaring Lion, Catholic Boy, Gunavera, Lone Sailor, McKenzie, West Coast. McKenzie and West Coast both being Bob Baffert horses. Pavel, Mendelssohn, also known for his Kentucky Derby last place finish this year after blowing away all the competition he's faced before and since. Yoshida, Mind Your Biscuits, Axelrod, Discreet Lover, who at 20 to 1 is a pretty good price play, along with Lone Sailor at 30 to 1, and then Accelerate. Stacked field. If I had to put my money down, it would either be on McKenzie, who was Bob Baffert's number one horse and number one derby contender prior to an injury back in March that took him out of the took him off the Kentucky Derby Trail and opened the path for the aforementioned Justify to enter and win the Santa Anita Derby and then go on to Triple Crown history. Another one I like is Catholic Boy. Catholic Boy is trained by Jonathan Thomas. No, not the JTT Jonathan Taylor Thomas of Home Improvement and Lion King fame. This is the John Thomas who is still relevant in 2018. And his, has his Ridgeling in top racing form on the heels of three straight wins, including his most recent at the Traverse Stakes in August. My money's on McKenzie, always on a Bob Baffert horse. If you see a race where a Bob Baffert trained horse is being ridden by jockey Mike Smith, put money on that horse. Then you have Catholic Boy and West Coast. Those are the three I think are going to make up the trifecta. Now, Discreet Lover, you can add him into your, your exotics. Lone Sailor could be another guy you add into your exotics. But if I'm putting money on it, I'm going to be saying the trifecta is going to include, in no particular order, McKenzie, Catholic Boy, and West Coast. That's just the classic race. Now, the, the, the Breeders' Cup is, a, is a, a weekend event. Now, on Friday, you have the Juvenile races. Now, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile on Fridays is where... One horse usually cements his status as two-year-old or juvenile of the year. Now, this year, the favorite and, and who I think is going to win this year's Juvenile Cup is Game Winner, another Bob Baffert horse. He's three for three in races. He won his debut at the Del Mar Futurity, and then he won the American Pharaoh Stakes. He's a versatile horse that can win pressing or stocking the pace, and he brings a lot to the table here, except for a price. He's going to be the favorite. It's not going to be a lot of money to be made just betting on him to win. So if you put him in, you know, box him in trifectas and superfectas and doubles of that, you can make some money off of that. Or you could do what I did with the trifecta and the Preakness where I knew Justify was going to win. So boom, one for a win, I choose game winner. And maybe for place and show, you put in a couple different horses or two or three or four different horses and kind of box them. It's less expensive because you're only doing one for the winner. That's up to you. Another couple of names to look out for in this in the Juvenile Classic that you could maybe put behind Game Winner are Complexity. He's moved right up the stakes ranks, and he dominated the Champagne Stakes while keeping a lead the entire time. But he has yet to prove his ability to rate or to even go two turns, which is something 
obviously has to be done to win this race. But there's no disputing that complexity is the talent. Standard Deviation is another horse. He's a value horse you can throw into your, your exotics, your trifectas, your superfectas. He was a first out winner at Saratoga. He rallied for third in the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland, which is just down the road from about an hour or so from Churchill Downs, which is where the Breeders' Cup is being held this year. So there you have it. Game winner, complexity, and standard deviation are my top three picks for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. That's it for today. If you want more of my picks, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Sports. I'll be putting up more picks Friday and Saturday as the races are going on. Follow me on Twitter, at Sports. On Instagram, at Photos. Be sure to go to the Mono Sports podcast page on Facebook and like and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Until next week, who knows what's going on in the world of sports? Mo knows. Shake, shake, a brand new set of moves that you don't make.